everyone, I'm Quinton. And I'm Brandon, and we're your hosts for The 20s Generation. So what is this new podcast called The 20s Generation? Why did we call it The 20s Generation? Well, for one, Quinton, we're people in our 20s, right? And, and so we have our own hopes, our fears um, about what it's like, uh, you know, to be in the 20s. And, and for another, you know, we're in the 2020s. Yeah, that's and right. what a crazy time it is, right? Oh, yeah. So it's such a, you know, you know if, if, if people, if we realized back in, you know, 2012, when the world was supposed to end, that 2020 would be this disastrous of a year, you know, we would be completely shocked. We would be surprised. We have a, a global pandemic um, that is really redefining um, and forcing us to redefine, rather, so many different things about our societies and our politics. Um, and what's more, now we have, you know, a, a global reckoning of, um, of racial injustice and systemic inequities in not only North American society, but increasingly in other places in the world. Right, and so when, when I graduated, I, I, I sort of thought I, I was gonna be dealing with, you know, major issues like, you know, student debt, in-laws, and, and, and house, housing rentals, you know, and, and I sort of hadn't really reckoned with, with the scale of the issues that, that we're sort of confronted with right now. Um, a global recession, uh, a major public health crisis hitting almost every country on the globe, as well as widening inequality and social injustice that's quite frankly, uh, you know, made a lot of us uh, quite rightly furious at the way things are. And, and, and not to mention, I think the worst sort of crisis that our generation fundamentally will have to uh, bear the burden of, which is climate change. Um, and, you know, the decades of, you know, neglect that have, uh, that have really caused this problem to balloon into an existential crisis for, you know, not, not like our planet in general, but also like people our age, you and me, Brandon, in particular. Um, so these are, these are not great times to, to be in your 20s. But, you know, Quentin, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. And, and I think we do have a sliver of hope uh, that's born out of our generation, don't you think? Yeah, like, like, I think that we have all these problems, right, that, you know, for a large part have been, you know, uh, pushed onto our shoulders, the, the generation, our generation's shoulders. And yet we've, we've seen really great examples of young people, people in their 20s included, um, you know, trying to make the world a better place and trying to chip away at these massive problems that we have in our society. Right, and it brings to mind for me what uh, John Krasinski had said at, during a, a commencement address, actually, which was, uh, you know, how people in their 20s uh, during their commencement ceremonies are under tremendous pressure to change the world. And, and I think for John, at his commencement, from what he'd shared, you know, he was just kind of worried about rent, just like the rest of us, uh, and, and not living with like 10 other people in the same room. Uh, but the funny thing is, as you're alluding to, this generation, our generation, and the choices we make in where we live, how we work, what we do, and what we value, are going to indelibly shape the world moving forward. We're going to be the ones to sort of challenge what it means to govern, 
to pursue success, uh, to test new boundaries. And in that process of trying new things, failing along the way, stumbling, and hopefully rising up again, we're going to be the ones to change the world, for better or worse. Um, and so this is really what this new podcast is about. Um, so uh, the, the 20s generation is about people in their 20s. Uh, and, and it's not about the people in their 20s that you know, are big newsmakers and are on the headlines of every major newspaper in the world. It's also not just about your average um, person in their 20s. It's about people, people who we find inspiring, um, who are making a difference um, and really trying to uh, you know, implement uh, changes and reforms and sometimes even revolution um, in order to achieve a, a, a better future for, for us all. Absolutely. And we're going to be embarking on this journey as two ethnically Chinese guys from two very different parts of the world. Uh, a bit about us, we're both from uh, Vancouver and Singapore. And we actually met uh, having gone to school at Brown together, right? And, and I think we met um, in, in the student lounge uh, in our freshman year. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I still remember that time when I, when I, uh, I think one of the first times we, we actually met, uh, like talked to each other, I was asking you if Singapore noodles actually did come from Singapore or not. I was, right. you know, completely disappointed to learn that they are not. Right. It's a total myth. It's, it's a, it's, it's a marketing ploy. It's, it's a total gimmick, but, but I, I sort of like to think that that was, I guess the, the starting point for this larger conversation about what it means to be, in an incredibly diverse, uh, globalized, and messy world, um, mm -hmm. and to try to have to navigate your way through that, uh, through through all of the different people you'll meet and the experiences you'll have. Yeah, and and my hope is that you know when we when we say that this is a platform, right, to really showcase youth voices, people in their twenties, voices of those people um, around the world. We we really do mean around the world, world, right? We we've, we've got um, you know some some great um, uh, people in, in, in uh, well, I don't know if we can say that yet, but we, we have, we have, uh, we have, they, they will be great people. <laughs> there will be great people. We have plans to uh, talk to, you know, people from um, or, like very different backgrounds, very different places in the world and really try to see how these different perspectives weave together, you know, a complex, messy, and hopefully inspiring narrative of what it means to be in your 20s in these, you know, frankly, unprecedented times. That's right. So we've looked through our contact books as well as uh, the contact books of those we know. And uh, we've sort of assembled a motley crew of uh, musicians, historians, politicians, activists, scholars, uh, artists, and many others who are sort of along their way in their 20s. And we're going to be asking them a bunch of hard but important questions about stuff like inequality, activism, what they value, um, their identities, their heritage, how they want to create a better and fairer society. And hopefully through this journey, we'll be able to figure out a better way forward. Now on to the show. We're excited to have with us Luke and Val of the band Strawberry Generation. An indie pop band born out of Brown University, the band has been praised for their sweet vocals and lush arrangements that bring to mind nostalgic memories of youth. Strawberry Generation has crossed the Atlantic, performing everywhere from Derbyshire to Providence, and just premiered their debut album, A Float, 
this past February. Luke and Val join us now to chat about their band, uh, their lives after graduation, and their journey into their 20s. Uh, welcome, Luke and Val. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how are you both doing? Yeah. Um, doing great. We're, we're kind of like all separated in different parts of the U.S. right now. Um, all staying at home, but yeah, generally doing okay. Um, staying healthy, keeping in touch with people online. And, and so right now you're actually uh, separated, right? You're in different places right now, right? Yeah, so I'm in the, uh, in the Bay Area near San Francisco. Um, I've been working here for the past year and I'm actually planning on moving over to the East Coast um, very soon um, to start med school. But right now I'm just sort of enjoying the, the nice weather, <laughs> the sort of solid 70 degree weather every single day, um, which is, it's been really nice. Yeah, um, I'm in Arlington, Virginia. Before, I guess, the pandemic, I was working in DC. Um, now I just, I mean, for the last couple of months, I've been working from home. Cool. We wanted to invite you to this um, podcast because we, this podcast is about people in their 20s. Um, and, you know, what better sort of type of uh, guest to have to invite um, than, you know, two of our close friends who are in their 20s, who are in a band about this generation, presumably. About being in your 20s, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's us. <laughs> um, no, I just, like, that. It's, it's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to be chatting with you guys. Um, I guess I was wondering like what sort of prompted you guys to want to start this podcast? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the key things was, you know, sitting around, we, we were just kind of uh, naturally in our twenties, not quite certain about what to do with uh, the, the multitude of challenges, both, you know, personal and global, I guess that, that uh, all of us are kind of dealing with um, everything from, how to get a good job, to how to pay off debt, to why on earth is the world so unequal and, and, and messed up these days, to what do we do of our lives? And, and, and we just had a bunch of these hard, exciting, crazy, wonderful questions that I guess everyone our age was just trying to answer. Um, and we figured, you know, we have a bunch of friends who are doing cool things like yourselves um, and who might have answers too. And uh, let's try to jump on a journey of them and um, try to figure it out together. Awesome. That's cool. Well, I, I am excited to hear what all people all over the place in their 20s have to say. So we wanted to first start, I guess, with an introduction about the band um, and, and how the band got the name Strawberry Generation. And of course, I think uh, all of us at Brown sort of grew up with Strawberry Generation across our college years. Uh, big fans of the pop hits that you've put out, big fans of uh, the jamming sessions in the underground, uh, big fans of the outdoor live concerts and great memories of that, uh, which I still miss here in Singapore, actually. But, but I think a lot of us may not know, uh, for, for, for those of us listening to this podcast for the first time, what the name Strawberry Generation means. Could, could you talk to us a bit more about what it is? Sure. Um, so the phrase Strawberry Generation is a 
it's a Mandarin expression that refers to um, this current, I guess, the current young people of today and how they're spoiled, um, easily rotten, that kind of whole like snowflake thing that that Westerners know about. So that was the that's that that's like one of the names that like I guess I thought of um, in the process of forming the band, and I guess like going back before that, how the band was formed. Um, I was in my first year of of school and in my music class that I took in the first semester of freshman year, uh, I met my friend Chris Chen. And at the time I was recording stuff like solo um, with no intention of being in the band. And I asked Chris like, oh, I have a song that, you know, I, I feel like having a, a really cool saxophone solo at the end. Do you know anyone who you know, plays the saxophone? And he's like, oh, I have a friend, uh, Valerie, who plays the saxophone. And then we all met and then um, a bunch of other Fast forward to the story, um, we formed a band with a few of other, a few other um, friends from Brown. And then uh, when it came time to give the band a name, I was like, uh, you know, we, we had a few options, I think, that I recall. Um, ultimately, I think I pushed pretty hard for the name Strawberry Generation. I think it's a, I think it was, I thought it was a pretty good name. Um, yeah. Valor, you're, you're, you're smiling there. Is there, a, <laughs> did, did you agree with this name or was this a, a fairly forced sort of decision? From, oh, like, no, no, no. It wasn't anything like that. Like, I think that we're all really big fans of the name. There's just, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that like, there's a lot more like thought put into the name that Luke hasn't mentioned, but you know, it was kind of um, about, like a little bit of our like sort of Asian roots um, and yeah, just sort of like reclaiming this idea of, of being like entitled and having, you know, oh, like you can't handle difficulty and challenges. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, they were like, we're very indecisive, I think, Luke and I together. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> every time that a decision has to be made, we sort of like, discuss it um, forever until we decide that we just have to go with something. Um, and I think we've gotten better at that, but in, in the beginning, definitely it was just like, oh, this is a very important decision. We have to have to think through it really well. Um, but I think, you know, we, we really like the band name and yeah, haven't looked back since. Actually, I, I do have to, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, but I think it's, it's, it's funny to point out that um, one of our previous band members, uh, like at one point in the in very early on in the band, he gave me a phone call and he was like, uh, oh, I'm not sure about this whole band name thing. And I was like, oh, I thought it was fine. And it was just like a few, I think it was like a few months after we've, we've had the name. And then they were like, um, I've had friends come up to me and say, yo, the music is great. But the band name though, like, why? <laughs> And then so it's, so, it's so like, I was kind of like, okay, this is surprising because we, we had the name for a while. So I was like, oh, I assumed that we were all chill with it. Then like the more I thought about it and then like, you know, I had to like justify my decision because I, I wasn't about to change the name like half, like a couple of months into having a band. That's like, I don't think that's a good decision at all. So as I thought about it, I was like, it's, it's, it's kind of a thing where like you're forced or like you become more attached to the idea, the more you have to defend it, you know, like. Like at first you're like, ah, this is a cool name. And then like after a while, like, like, oh no, actually the name is good because of X, Y, and Z. Like I became more of an ardent defender of it. 
ultimately, I think it's, yeah, I think as Val said, you know, it's, it's a name that reflects our Asian-ness, the two of us, the two principal songwriters. Um, there are lots of cool bands with fruit-related names, like Orange Juice um, and Strawberry Switchblade, which is our predecessor strawberry-named band, who are really good. And I guess lastly, like, it's a good visual identity kind of thing. There's like a strawberry emoji. It's got like, you know, visual charm. So, yeah. I, I wonder though, sort of, you know, because of this meaning behind strawberry generation in, you know, the original um, Chinese, right? In, in, mm -hmm. in Taiwan and, and, and in other Chinese speaking societies, for example, like, does that, does that ever get across to, you know, um, you know, your audiences, which, you know, who come from very different places? Um, does, does that, does that, you know, idea of, you know, strawberry generation as sort of this reclaimed sort of, um, not only the Asian-ness of that, that name, but also like the reclaimed identity of being like a young person and, you know, being soft or being, I don't know, mushy, like a strawberry. Uh, what, have you ever had those sort of conversations with fans and in your audiences? Um, I think that the background behind the name goes over people's heads, like unless we explain it. Because um, I guess like most of our audience has been like Western, I guess, um, in background. And so it's like, I actually hadn't really even heard of this phrase a lot, like growing up. Um, and I only learned about it when Luke told me about it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that people necessarily know what it is um, right off the bat, but I think that people identify with it a little like when we when we talk about it and when we sort of give that background. Yeah, I think it's it's nice that that it isn't like immediately obvious, you know, like if we call the band the special snowflakes, that's you know very <laughs> on the nose and probably honest. So like sometimes I wonder like if I was from Singapore and I heard there was a band called Strawberry Generation, would it be the same as like an American being like, oh, there's a band in Singapore called The Special Snowflakes? You're know, like, huh, that's kind of corny. <laughs> so yeah, thank yeah, like thankfully, I mean, the, the idea is that like we're taking a phrase that isn't popular in. I mean, we were formed in America, so the idea is like taking a phrase that's not widely used in America and kind of introducing it to show that hey, there's a parallel, like you know, this whole idea of the young generation being not up to the task is not strictly a American or Western phenomena. It happens elsewhere in the world. Right. And I think I really resonate with that notion of being able to reclaim an Asian concept of this generation, one that can't really roll with the punches, one that can't really live up to the, the scale of the challenges that, that lie ahead of them. Um, and, and I think our generation has been called, you know, spoiled, entitled, privileged, fragile, um, a, a lot of things that, that aren't necessarily very complimentary. So I was curious to know what you guys uh, would have to say to that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's interesting because um, a lot of different generations throughout history have sort of gone through this of, of oh, you know, when I was like every everybody's parent has a has a story too of like oh when i was young you know we had to walk 30 miles to school and it was cold and we didn't have coats or something um and i'm sure that you know their parents also had stories that they would tell them um 
but I, I don't know. Like, I think that it, it doesn't seem like the, the worst thing, I guess, that um, people of like newer generations have easier lives than people of previous generations, because it kind of feels like, well, isn't that progress? Like, isn't that kind of what we're going for? Like, um, I don't know. Like, I don't think that I would necessarily want, you know, my children or the next generation of people to have to struggle with the same things that I'm struggling with. Like, I'm hoping that maybe some of those things can be fixed for them. Um, and the other thing I would say is that I think that when you sort of lump an entire generation of people into one group and say like, okay, like this entire group of people is, is entitled and, and they have all these different sort of privileges and they can't, um, they can't take the heat, you know? Um, I think it sort of discounts like the very different experiences that people have, even among like young people and, you know, not everybody like is actually privileged enough to be able to have, you know, easy lives where they, you know, they're able to be spoiled and, and not have to, you know, walk 30 miles to school. And I, yeah, I, I think that in general, it just feels a little bit like maybe we can do more to, to try and show that, that you know, there's like a huge diversity of experiences within even one generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I agree mostly with those sentiments. Cool, thank you. Thank you, Luke. Um, and, and thanks, Val. Um, I, why don't we go and, and talk more about your, your music right now? Um, so, you know, um, being sort of a longtime listener, although not exactly the most um, up, up in front sort of fan of Strawberry Generation, you know, I, I find it's, it's incredibly hard to put Strav G in a box, right? You've got um, punchy pop numbers like Coffee, um, contrasted with, you know, more melodic uh, ballads like um, My Love is a, uh, Like a Satellite. Um, I like to think that that's a nice metaphor for a generation, right? You know, a, a really interesting mix of different approaches. Um, how, how, I guess, how would you describe your band's style um, musically as well as lyrically? Um, I guess, sure. I guess, like, you know, to use the 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 genre categories that that people are comfortable or like are most aware of. I think, yeah, the, the, definitely that a lot of different styles that you go for, like indie pop, twee, shoegaze, like even like dream pop. I guess, I guess, like the whole point of these labels is that like it's, it's meant so that they're meant to be like vague enough so that people roughly know the ballpark of of style that you're going for and yeah definitely like it's 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 a metaphor yeah like you know the different styles are like in gener our generation have different personalities but also i think more on a more like literal level the reason why there's lots of different styles is because we all listen to different things and we all like try to make our opinions heard so in the example of like our album some of the songs um i really fought for and said like this is a good song it should be on the album some of the songs I was like not so keen on, but other members of our band were like, "This needs to know. This is so good. What are you talking about?" So it's kind of this like 
uh, debate back and forth that leads to a variety of styles being represented. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I think that we, yeah, we like even, I think between, so Luke and I are the primary songwriters, right? And I think that even among the things that we write within ourselves, like I think that Luke, you write like a variety of different types of songs and I write a variety of different types of songs. Like I think because we also listen to different types of music just within ourselves. But yeah, of course, like I think a lot of the arrangement and the execution of it comes from, you know, just all of us sort of having different ideas of what we like in our head. And that diversity of ideas really does come together, especially in your latest album, The Float. And you've mentioned before folks like Alves, A Tribe Called Quest, and Carly Rae Jepsen as your inspirations. They're all an incredibly diverse range of musicians as well. So I was curious to know where you get your inspiration these days for your music, um, both from existing musicians, from your lives, um, and how that process looks like for you guys. Yeah, I think that um, in the beginning, I when I was writing songs, I this was before Strawberry Generation. I, I think I just sort of wrote mostly for the lyrics. I think that I was just like a teenager with a lot of feelings and, and wanted to get them out, but I didn't want to talk to people. <laughs> um, and so I sort of did that through my songs. And I think that as I sort of got into college and started you know, um, playing with the band, a lot more of it came from, okay, well, how would this actually work um, with the the people that we have and, and what it would be like to play this song like in Strawberry Generation? Um, and I think that from that, I started drawing inspiration more from just how different songs are constructed. Like I would hear something and I would really like something in the arrangement or I'd like the the structure of the song and I try to like pick just little elements that I hear and like, oh, that's kind of cool and play with that in my own way. Um, but I would say that that definitely came, came later for, for the most part, for most, for the most amount of time, I guess I would say I was just writing my own feelings. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, Luke and I write differently too. So I'm sure that you also, you have something else. Um, yes, I think at the, for me as well, definitely like before, um, like before Strop G was like officially like bam, Strop G. I think when I was work I was like mainly working by myself and hadn't really put much thought into being a band. It was very much like, yeah, like, you know, cheesy singer song writer stuff or in the case of like Satellite, which I wrote initially as like a solo song. That was kind of like when I first when I first entered Brown, I was like, okay, you know, like, um, probably shouldn't be doing the whole acoustic guitar thing for too long because that kind of gets a bad rep <laughs> in colleges, like, dude on acoustic guitar. So I was like, okay, I'll make some electronic stuff to try to, like, diversify. And then I think after forming Strop G and, like, playing a lot of live shows, that definitely um, changed the way that I think I thought about, like, arranging and writing. They're like, okay, you know, even even stuff like writing in the key that is easy for me to like project in because in the past I was just like oh you know I'll write in whatever key and then just like sing it into the mic it doesn't doesn't really make a difference but then yeah like as I played more shows and like oh gotta keep you know energy levels up gotta keep the arrangement fresh like it's just kind of like 
informed by experience, you know, like if you play more shows that, oh, this like a slow song, people maybe don't really like that. Or sometimes they do, but like, you know, if you think a, a, a house show to X number of people, you want to like keep them happy and energetic. So stuff like that, like really affected the way that I write. Definitely like as Strop G progressed as a band. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, um, I think that maybe I sort of came at it from the opposite way where like all the songs that I used to write, I would just, I never recorded anything. I would just like play it um, just in my bedroom or whatever. And I think that actually as we progressed as a band, like it was really interesting to see how like our experiences playing live has affected that, but also just like recording. I think for me, um, I had to think a little bit more about how a song would sound recorded as well when I was when I was writing. Whereas like for Luke, I feel like you you've been recording for a while. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that that's really interesting. And 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 you know, obviously you both have very different backgrounds um and you know experiences uh with music and you know musical inspirations and and not just you two the 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 key sort of primary songwriters but also the rest of your band right um have very sort of diverse um backgrounds with music and and with life and you know i think that's it's really interesting to 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 see that you know your band comes from i think three continents right you use a, a ton of instruments and you know, your your so I hear your favorite animals range from an octopus to a snow fox. So you know, very 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 distinct. Um, how how do you work as a band coming from you know really quite different backgrounds and lived experiences? I know you talked about kind of how you to respect each other's sort of different songwriting approaches and 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 you know different ways of coming to music. But how does that come together as sort of a a cohesive unit um yeah so i think you know like i i mentioned just now this there's always this push and pull within the band um yeah i guess i guess the good thing really is that everyone everyone listens to everyone listens to everyone listens to different types of music in the band but um i think we're all open to listening to what the other person is listening to so like for example i'll ask ale like you know like what kind of songs you're listening to. He showed me a few. I listen to them. I like maybe won't listen to them more than three times in my lifetime. I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Like they're doing X, Y, and Z or whatever. And I think same goes for Val. I'll be like, yo, check out this like song by this completely unknown band. And she'll be like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. I, mean, I, I know Val's not going to like, it's not, it's not become like anyone's favorite band within um, within the band. And But like, that's fine. Because I think like, yeah, like, as long as like, oh, I really like this band because of this. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, and then you see how that might apply to um, our own songs. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, we're like all really open to like trying out new types of music and just like taking a listen. Um, and I think that we all sort of like take each other's music taste seriously, even if we don't necessarily share that taste. Um, and I think that there are like some overlaps in the types of things that we listen to and that's that's part of what makes us work um but i i don't know i really like the fact that we we all have like a really diverse sort of array of things to pull from um because that sort of means that we don't end up sounding like whatever thing that we all agree that we like listening to it's just sort of like oh you know 
we'll pull in elements of, of this and that and um, things that like I would never expect to, to sort of incorporate into a song that I've written will end up there just because, you know, Luke or Ale has been listening to something else and I'm like, oh, I think that this would actually be really cool in there. And in addition to the diversity of, you know, song choices, of inspirations, uh, you've also got a diversity of performing locations and, and you guys have really hopped across the globe. Um, New Haven, uh, both Cambridges, both in, in Mass and in the UK. Um, and I'm still waiting on the Asia World Tour, but I'm sure that's coming sometime <laughs> soon. Uh, so could you guys tell us a bit more about some of the locations you performed at? Any favorites, any funny stories on the road? And also, uh, what was it like performing in places that were so far away from each other? Did you get any funny audience reactions along the way? Um, yeah, so I think what, what, what I like to remember to myself is that like, we've played to, we've played in like the Met, which is a, a, a venue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. We played there to like 10 people in a bar that was supposed to fit like 200 or 500, something like that. So it was like basically very empty. And we've also done like, you know, decently sized locations and even not to brag or anything, but you know, we've done like a small, decent sized festival. So I guess we have really seen the ups and downs. Um, and yeah, I think as, as for like favorites, I think performing in every location has been interesting in its own way. Like for example, when we played in the UK and for yeah, like for example, in Cambridge, um, in, Cam in Cambridge Mass, it was college young people but in in Cambridge, the the UK one, it was like mainly an older crowd, and it was like interesting because you know they they all obviously they all everyone there can drink, so <laughs> we were like, oh, would you like to drink? I was like, oh yeah, this is surprising. Oh, we forgot that we're we're not in the US anymore. So I guess like it's it's, it's really been. I guess the only thing that I'll say about it is it's been really surreal because we I I don't I don't think I started the band as like a college band sort of thing. But definitely, like the privilege and the ability to have to play in all these different locations is like such an is a huge honor and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Like, I I would say that probably my favorite performances actually would be at Brown, like on campus, just because um, I don't know. Like, it's always fun to play to people that know you and and that are like really engaged and. Um, like, I mean, I think that audiences everywhere have been super, like, respectful and, and they seem like they're having a good time, I guess. Um, but yeah, there are definitely some, sometimes, like, when, when people don't know you, they're there and they're like, oh, you know, this is cool, or they're sort of, like, respectfully listening to you. But I think at, you know, at Brown, where, you know, your friends are there and people have, have seen you play before, like, they get, there's just, like, this energy, I guess, um, that comes with it. So I would say that, like, probably some of my favorite shows were just right at home. I guess it's like in sports when you have home and away games, you know, <laughs> when you're playing at home, it's like, you know, people are like, you know, they're on your side. Yeah. Away games. I mean, there are away games and there are away games. There are away games are like, like in the UK, we, we didn't know anyone, but like, you know, it's, 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 it's not like we were turning up uninvited, so to speak, but like there have been shows in the US where like, we're definitely, we're like opening for someone and like, we're not, the main reason people are there mm. and that's always like it's, it's, it's not like those shows are difficult but it's more like the attitude becomes like okay like we got to make sure that you know people aren't talking in the middle of our set or whatever so there's a bit of like 
gung ho-ness in those shows yeah. as opposed to like hey it's all pals or whatever which is fun too obviously but yeah so like every show's you know different in its own way um they've all been like really great experiences that's really interesting um i want to i want to now talk about sort of um your lyrics and and sort of you know kind of try to draw some sort of uh philosophical musings, uh, as it were, uh, from, from you two about um, music and also about life. Um, I think on the surface, you know, a lot of Strawberry songs seem to be, you know, very sugary, happy, and nostalgic. But I think a closer look at the lyrics sometimes reveals, you know, a lot more sort of deeper meanings uh, that are a lot, you know, much more complex. Uh, compared to that sugary surface. Uh, you've sung about, you know, dating, misunderstood love affairs, uh, dislocation, uh, reading poetry in high school. Um, as folks in your 20s, I guess, what, what do you think um, are some of the, you know, challenges um, in life um, that you've faced that kind of become subject material for lyrics? And in, in general, what, you know, that the biggest challenges that our, our generation faces, the strawberry generation, right? Yeah, I think that our generation, um, we sort of struggle with isolation um, in a unique way. And I mean, I guess like part of that is sort of like, oh, look, we're, we're in quarantine. But I just, I mean, in general, like, I think we, um, maybe because of like technology or social media or whatever, like how easy it is to feel like um, you're surrounded by people and feel like you're getting stimulation from people um, while you're also just by yourself. Um, or like maybe you are feeling like super, super lonely. But I think that like being able to feel lonely, but also feeling like maybe you shouldn't be because you're just like hearing from people like opinions and, and all that um, all the time. Um, like it's an, it's a, very unique type of isolation. Um, and I think that there's like sort of a theme, I guess, in our songwriting um, that comes from that. And part of it is like the way that, well, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll let Luke speak it for himself. But I think for, for me, like, I tend to write songs from a personal place, but I um, tend to like, I, I don't really like to put it all out there you know like so there's a thing where Taylor Swift will like put the names of people in her songs <laughs> and like I'm like very much the opposite of that like I would never actually do that and I you know I put names in my songs but they're all made up names um and I think that I tend to like to explain like the emotions that I'm having and the struggles that I'm going through through a sort of fictional story I guess in the songs mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that part of that comes from being like afraid to be vulnerable, um, in front of an audience, but also just in life, you know, like, I, I think that young people and maybe just people from all generations, I, I don't know. Um, it's hard to, to be vulnerable and just like put it all out. And I think that that sort of contributes to feeling isolated just in, in any form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. I think the idea of vulnerability in this day and age with like the classic like 
social media stuff and everything you say online like is archived on like you know is permanently there i think that definitely is the thing that um that simultaneously is something that i think about when i'm like writing and also something that i think affects our generation you know stuff stuff that like 20 years ago like there were no such thing as read receipts right like you can't you, you don't know if someone's received your your snail mail you don't know if it was delivered because the mailman might have like dropped it in a puddle or something but i think like now you know a huge part of the way we communicate is based off of, the, off of these like things that on the surface are just like it's a technical detail Re read receipts on the surface are meant to tell you like the recipient has seen your message like that's all it's supposed to be from like a scientific standpoint but like it's such a loaded thing when you like send someone a text and they like read and you're like oh, like time to psychoanalyze they, they saw it like how many minutes ago clearly whatever is something's not happening or like there's some miscommunication or whatever stuff like that i think um i think a lot about and i think a lot of people a lot of young people are like um concerned about and stuff yeah so um that's definitely i think something that I th that is like a unique to our generation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I sort of just wanted to build on that point, which is pretty in interesting. The idea that in addition to, I guess, a global health pandemic, where we're also facing something that's perhaps far more uh, dangerous and, and far more difficult to deal with, which is a loneliness uh, pandemic, a, a, an epidemic of isolation and of disconnection in an age where social media is supposed to have allowed us to connect with anyone and everyone we would have liked across the world. Um, and, and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on, on how you do so, but both as a band and, and perhaps as individuals um, in this age of COVID-19, how do you stay connected? You know, I've actually found that since the shelter in place thing has happened, I've had a lot more people just sort of reach out out of the blue. I, I feel like it's this situation has given people, at least like young people I, I've noticed, um, more permission to just sort of like cold text. And like, I feel like I feel more comfortable cold texting people now um, just because, you know, it's, it is what it is now. Whereas before, um, I don't know, like I, I would always think really hard about like, oh, you know, if I, if I thought of someone and I'm like, oh, you know, I should, I'd like to see how they're doing. I would go through these like mental gymnastics of like, but is it weird? Like, has it been too mm -hmm. long since I last talked to them? You know, like, how do I say hi without them feeling like, oh, is she texting me because she wants something from me, you know? Um, and I think that like going off of what Luke was saying before, like because of social media and because of how accessible it is to reach people, there are also like so many more layers of, of, I guess, um, translation between like a thought in my head going to like a thought in your head. Whereas before, you know, you'd call someone on the phone and it would be like, okay, we're, we're going to talk. Right. And now, you know, when you send a text, it's like what, what you were saying, right. With like red receipts and, and stuff like that. It's, there's just so many more layers that you kind of have to work through and, um, it just seems less direct, even though it is more accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that I was more connected, but I think <laughs> even even post COVID, I, th I think it's definitely like taught me like I've, I haven't gotten better at being connected, but I'm reminded of how unconnected 
I am right now because of like, and, and before COVID as well, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm living in DC, like not Arlington rather, but I don't know that many people and I'm not the best at like keeping in touch. So like with the COVID stuff, I'm like, oh, I guess I really have not been doing a good job COVID aside. And so like, yeah. Yeah, that, that that's really interesting um, because I you know I I totally I I, I totally feel um, the stuff that you know um, you both especially what Val said about you know you know you know we used to have so many kind of unspoken rules or you know some sort of like obstacles or or something like that preventing us from actually reaching out to people in a more genuine way and suddenly with this COVID nineteen pandemic all bets are off right. And, you know, it's, 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 it's terrifying. It's scary in many ways. And, and a lot of our physical connections have been, you know, unfortunately broken off. Uh, but in, in other ways, sort of our, our inhibitions of, of actually reaching out to people we haven't spoken to in, you know, ages is, are, are kind of melting away. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really strange how that works. Um, but, you know, it's probably a good thing, ultimately, in terms of how we get to reset our, our relationships and, and, and potentially, you know, rekindle uh, friendships and, and connections that we've, we've lost in the past. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, sort of, um, you know, another, another theme that I think comes up in in, in, in your music that's kind of related to this actually is sort of um, this idea of wandering and not really understanding where we're going. Um, like I'm thinking in particular about one of my favorite songs and one of Brandon's favorite songs too, which is um, Losing My Way, or I guess every day feels like I'm losing my way. Um, and I think a lot of folks our age are, are feeling that way right now, not just because of you know, the pandemic, although that's probably a big reason why, um, but, you know, also because of the incredible uncertainty, right, that um, our generation seems uh, to have fallen into um, with, you know, increasing uh, job market competition and, you know, a lot of real questions about, you know, what the future of our planet will be like. Um, so, you know, folks are unemployed or stuck in debt at jobs right, moving city to city and, and hoping that there's, you know, kind of like how the opening line of that song, Losing My Way, goes, a guardian angel to, to send them a signal. Um, so, you know, Strawberry Generation, if, if you were that guardian angel, um, what, what sort of signal would you like to send to those wanderers, I suppose? <laughs> uh, so I guess as the person who came up with that line, you know, it definitely came from, as with a lot of my other songs, it comes from like a, a place of, um, not pessimism, but a place of like, um, of caution, you know what I mean? So I don't know if I'm qualified to, to give, you know, the grand advice feel thing, but I think like, I guess I will say that like, I think everyone manages themselves differently in the face of adversity. And I think in the times that I've faced adversity, and I looked back and I was like, oh, I guess I was, you know, acting very differently from how I usually did. But I think like, you know, I think there's something to be expected. We can't always, we can't always expect to, you know, have unwavering resolve or like be unwaveringly 
always this same person regardless of what happens in our lives. So, so yeah, sometimes, sometimes like, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm acting really differently. Or like, I was acting really differently at that time. But I'm like, you know what, maybe, I, maybe it had to be done. Maybe that was necessary to get where I am now. And, and yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting um, in terms of what a lot of, I don't know, in terms of what, what's happening on social media a lot. Sorry to keep linking back to that. But I feel like there's this idea of like people calling each other out for things that they said many, many years ago. And that's not to say that, um, that you shouldn't call people out like when they say problematic things. Um, but I think that there is also like, I've seen a bit of resistance to just like apologizing, you know, sometimes like people will be like, oh, like, you know, they will get defensive about it. And I think that it's okay. Like, you know, sometimes we just need to accept that, like, you know, I've changed, like the world has changed, like people change. And, you know, just because you said something wrong in the past doesn't mean that you can't learn from it now. And, but also, you know, that was you that said that. And so like, it's okay now to take responsibility for the wrong things that you said in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I, I totally feel that like there's a lot of just like feeling like I am a totally different person now than I was before. And I'm always just going from, from place to place and in terms of what I think is cool and not. And even if I look back on the beginning of, you know, when I was first, making music with Luke, like I will (laughs) listen to old music and just hate everything that I used to write. Um, But that's, you know, that's part of the deal. Like I think that it's not a bad thing um, because it means that I have learned something and, and I'm growing as a person. It's, you know, I don't have to feel bad for the fact that I wrote what I think are, you know, bad songs back then because you gotta, you know, just get it out. so yeah. Well, I personally think that some of the very early hits, like the ones about peanut butter, are are, are among Strawberry Generation's best. Uh, I'm not sure that <laughs> I'm not sure that's canonical. Yeah, but 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 I I really resonate with that notion that um, our, our generation, as as we're growing up into this age where you can reach millions, if not billions, um, through the power of social media, uh, is tasked with this challenge of having to steward both an online presence in addition to a, a physical presence. Um, and and it's, it's scary to think, as, as you mentioned, that we'll be held accountable um, as one of my favorite TV stars, Hartley Sawyer, was um, for your tweets. Um, for, for context, I mean, uh, Hartley was sort of called out for racist and, and deeply disturbing tweets. Um, and he was removed uh, from his role as a superhero on, on The Flash. And, and, and it's, it's scary to think that way, but, but also I suppose that there's room um, for a degree of forgiveness, I suppose, as well as a, a, a degree of, of repentance on, on, on the part of those who sort of have lost their way, sort of have made mistakes along the way, because I guess that's all part of growing up and maturing, sort of figuring it out along the way, making some wrong turns, admitting that and having the courage to sort of move on. And, and, and on that note of wandering um, and trying to figure out where you're headed in life amid the wrong turns, um, I think a huge treat for any Strawberry Generation fan is the music videos. And, and in, in them, you've really wandered everywhere from the streets of Providence 
to uh, piecing together vinyl records in the desert um, to even carrying antique TVs across the jungle. Um, all brilliant videos. And, and I was just curious to know what the stories behind these music videos were. Sure. So, yeah, like all, I think we've made like, what, four videos? And um, all of them, I, I, have a, I really have a soft spot for them because each of them was like, like, uh, I mean, this is what videos are, they're like documents of the time that, 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 that they were made in. So all of them, like, I have really good memories of. I guess the first one was Coffee. That was a final project for one of the RISD winter session classes I took. So I was like, two birds with one stone, you know, get, yeah. a college, get a college credit and knock out a video at the same time. So that was cool. Um, Losing my way, yeah, that's like a, that was a two-year-long process that, you know, began in Singapore before, even before Strop G was the thing, because I, I made Losing My Way, um, kind of like, as I mentioned earlier, like, doing electronic stuff solo, I was like messing around and made Losing My Way, then later on turned it into a Strop G song. Um, I guess the significance of the, and the story of the song is that the, the TV that, that is carried around, that goes on a journey around Singapore, in the video um, belonged to my father when he moved from Hong Kong to, you know, to start work in Singapore as a quantity surveyor, I think it's called. I basically like land property development related stuff. But that was like, yeah, one of the first TVs, the first, or like he owned that like in the eighties and he kept it all the way until now. So that was like a cool touch. Um, and I guess the other like symbolic significant thing is that one of the last venues in that video is Thieves Market which is no longer a thing in Singapore because it was torn down. So, you know, these two relics of the past um, showing up in our video is like, I thought it was pretty cool. So yeah, shout out to Ed and Lee Chen who um, were a huge part of making that video happen. And I guess um, when you were here now, set, that's like a tour, a classic, you know, tour video of our time in London and the rest of the UK, which is a very special time for us. And lastly, Hannah, um, yeah, that's just it was kind of a relatively last minute thing. After the album was done, um, we thought it would be good to have an, a, a music video. So I asked our friend Josh, and um, who's in Providence, and I went up for like a short weekend to film that with him. Yeah, Val, any thoughts on the, Val, any any memories or thoughts on the on the videos? I, I feel like you probably you just covered all of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I sort of like. Like, I, I think that, like, coffee and, and actually, wait, no. Yeah, coffee and, and when you were here um, are sort of the only two that I feel like I was, like, directly, like, involved in in any way. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I agree with that. Like, it's just sort of a, a nice, like, timestamp of, of what we were up to at that time. What I, I'm curious about sort of like, I, I think it's um, the music video um, for Coffee, right? That, that's um, through the streets of Providence and, and really like captures, I think, you know, kind of like really interesting feelings, I guess, of, of, of Providence, the city that I, I think resonate with a lot of people um, who, you know, who called Providence, however briefly, you know, a kind of second home, um, you know, like Brown and Rizzi students, um, but also, you know, um, you know, just w watching that video sometimes, you know, takes me back to, um, you know, that 
that sort of you know strange feeling that Providence gives you when you're a college student, um, you know, just wandering the the streets of of of, of a very interesting city. How was that the filming process for that like in terms of like finding locations and 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 trying to get the right atmosphere, I guess, for, you know, coffee. Do you want to talk about this, Luke? I feel like you were doing a lot of scoping during that time. No, I, yeah, I just had a memory of like, uh, of like location scouting, you know, and like, I remember like having like a, a piece of A4, A4, letter paper. You don't use A, we don't use A4 No, please, please I never piece of... refer to A4. <laughs> I had a piece of letter paper and like I had like cutouts of locations. So I would, like I would, like I would, like bring them to Val and like okay shuffle them around like okay how about this one first and then this one and then like when once that was uh, decided we like we like tape it down and eventually we have our storyboard because obviously I can't draw I can't storyboard so I was like okay I'm gonna use like the locations as photos and like okay then like you know Val will stand here I'll like be here or whatever so yeah that was like my memory of it and. I think like, especially now having left Providence, I'm like, wow, Providence is such a great place. You know, mm. it's like, I mean, obviously like, like the rose tinted college student glasses are on, but like as a place, I thought that, Pro I mean like, yeah, like having not been in Providence for a while, I'm like, oh, Providence is really cool. And I would, you know, obviously want to go back at some point when it's safe to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like we had the whole storyboard out. Like Luke is a very organized person likes to plan everything. Um, and so we definitely like went to, into it with like, okay, game plan, we're gonna do this. But it's also nice to sort of have little moments when we were like walking from location to location and, and we'd be like, hey, let's just uh, turn the camera on like right here for a hot minute. And like, I think there's one point where there's like a dog in the video. That was definitely not planned. Like there was just <laughs> some people who like had a dog. <laughs> Luke was like, I oh, like yeah. dogs. So we just filmed him like, you know, messing around. Um, so yeah, it was kind of fun. It was just like a mix of of planned and and spontaneous, which is I don't know, maybe a little bit of a metaphor for like how we make our music as well. It was suitably amateur for like the level of professionalism like was appropriate for the the professional quality of the music. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> both are lo-fi enough. And then with Hannah, it's like the music was a bit more hi-fi, so the video also became like a bit more hi-fi. So it's nice that, you know, there was a progression, I think. And I'm sure they'll be suitably remembered as the classics that they are in the years to come. So we've graduated into this crazy world of pandemics, of debt, unemployment. Um, and, and I sort of think back to our own commencement address where we had uh, the legendary John Krasinski come and talk to us um, about how he was uniquely unqualified to talk to us, uh, among many other things. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not thinking back and, and I'm thinking he had a really easy time because he gave us advice before all of this crazy had happened. So I was curious to sort of end this podcast with a, an open sharing about what it's been like navigating your 20s after Brown, as well as if you had any wise words for this class of 20, 20 that's going to be entering a, a kind of a, a brave new world. It's kind of interesting because like, we just graduated last year. Um, so we have exactly one year of, of wisdom um, <laughs> over the class of 
at most one year of wisdom over, you know, the class of, of 2020. Um, and a quarter of it was spent indoors, I guess. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I would say that I am also unqualified to give a lot of great advice. But in general, maybe I would say, um, just like, be a good listener. Um, and that means like, listening to people that you admire, listening to people that you disagree with, and like listening to yourself. I think those are all important things to be able to make sure that you're moving in, in a direction that you want to be going in. Um, and just, I think that that has sort of helped me become more intentional with like the decisions that I've made um, and the way that I express myself, I guess. Yeah, I think um, I'm extra uniquely unqualified also because I didn't attend the John Krasinski speech. <laughs> um, but I think, I think if I had to like, or like if, if, if there's any advice that I would give myself is that like, also, I guess on a, on a related note, when, when I heard that the, the title of this podcast was the 20s generation, I was like, oh, I'm like halfway, more than, more than halfway through my 20s. So I was like, huh, that it certainly feels strange. I definitely don't feel, I, I think maybe obviously, you know, for Singaporean guys, there's, um, there's like a time delay because looking back or like looking at it now for the typical, well, I guess like Quinton or the, or the typical American or Western teenager, like you graduate in like you graduate at like the start of your twenties, whereas it feels like no, it feels like it, I actually did graduate in the middle of my twenties, and like the whole you know get up go to work daily routine. I'm like, oh, is this really like the twenties stuff? Or at least I maybe and, and then I realized that maybe you know something that I should be more aware of, and that's the advice that I would give to other people. Something that I think I should heed myself is that like after it becomes safer to go outside, like after the bars and everything have reopened, I think like a reopening of the self is in order, you know, you should be more open to interacting with people, like learning new things, keeping in touch with your family and people who you appreciate, stuff like that. I mean, it's, maybe it's, maybe it's like kind of cheesy, but I think like I definitely didn't realize that until like I, I took a look at myself and what I was doing pre and, and during pandemic, I was like, Oh, it's not that much different, huh? <laughs> Something should change. Like, once it can. Yeah, I guess I'm curious for um for you guys too, Quentin and Brandon, mm -hmm. like what what are some things that you would wanna tell your past self? I don't know. For for me, I, I think, you know, to be honest, um I I feel very similarly to what Luke just said. Um, because in many ways I think, you know, I, I, I had been working in Vietnam up until you know just two months ago and and that sort of plan to remain working in asia has kind of derailed um which is you know a loss in some ways but in many other ways i think you know being with family again and also with the you know increasing increasingly apparent realization that nothing will return to normal anytime soon if ever you know, this is a good moment for reflection. Um, this is a good moment to reset and actually, you know, kind of allow nature and the world to force you, like force myself to answer really tough questions about who I am and, and what do I really want. Um, 
you know, kind of Uncle Iroh is speaking from from the heavens and demanding that I I, I choose my own destiny. Um, so I, I think in many ways, yeah, that's that's I, I want I wonder if that's probably something that the class of 2020 will be doing right now too, um, even more so because you know we've all had a taste of you know post graduation life in the normal world, and now is the new normal, and you know we're going to have to reevaluate a lot of things, if not everything. Um, and I think, you know, that's both scary, but also a tremendous opportunity to actually try to do things right um, by ourselves and, and by each other, I think. And on my end, I think I particularly resonated with what uh, both of you spoke about in terms of uh, the need to stay connected and, and the need to stay optimistic, just because uh, we live in dark times, but but there are clearly bright places, even in these dark times. And, and it's important that as I think we enter our 20s, um, we bear in mind that we continue to be dislocated uh, geographically, culturally, uh, professionally, um, as we bounce from place to place. But if I had words for my younger self, it would be along the same lines as, as what you've mentioned, which are to stay connected, uh, to continue to chart your path with a, a kind of courage and a kind of optimism, I think, that does not befit the times, but which is nonetheless vital in being able to uh, create a new future, one that hopefully is a bit better and, and one that hopefully does better um, by all of us as well. Cool. Um, well, you know, on, on that sort of both celebratory and, and, and kind of reflective note, um, I guess we've come to the end of our premiere segment for the 20s generation. Um, a huge thank you to Val and Luke for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, this is fun. Um, so you can find Strawberry Generation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Strawberry Generation Band and on Bandcamp at strawberrygeneration.bandcamp.com with links to their music in this podcast description. Uh, guys, thanks uh, so much again for, for joining us and uh, stay safe. Thank you, you guys. Thank you, stay likewise. Safe too. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more great stories coming your way. To end off today's podcast, here's Strawberry Generation's Afloat. <laughs>